So two little boys found themselves in a hospital waiting room. And while they were there, one little boy looked over, he decided to break the ice, and he said, hey, man, what are you in for? Little boy looked back and said, well, I'm here to get my tonsils out. He said, oh, man, don't, don't worry about it. Once you, they, they, they do that, they're going to give you popsicles and jello and some pain medicine. Like, you're going to be fine. He said, oh, man, appreciate it. Thanks. So he looked at the other boy. He said, well, what are you in for? He said, well, I'm here to get a circumcision. Another little boy goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. They did that to me when I was born, and I didn't walk for a year. All right, well, hey, no better way to kick off a sermon about sex than a good circumcision joke. So, hey, welcome to Trace. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're incredibly grateful to have you. And yes, today we are continuing in this series called Rewired, and we're going to be specifically focusing on the subject of sex. And let me say up front that I am not an expert when it comes to this subject, even though Emily may argue that point. And so, all right, listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. We're going to have some fun today, all right? But I can assure you, listen to me, I can assure you I've taken this subject incredibly seriously, and so we are going to have some fun, uh, but we are going to have some really deep moments, so be prepared for that. Uh, but if you are a person that gets easily offended, and something that I say today offends you, feel free to email me at my personal uh, email this week, <laughs> and I'll make sure to get right back with you, all right? <laughs> All right, guys, hey, what I want to do today for our time, I think this will be the most beneficial, is I want to break our conversation up really into kind of three categories when it comes to sex, and it's these three categories right here. I want to talk about how sex is good and how it was always intended to have guardrails and it was always meant to be God-honoring. And so for simplicity purposes, uh, purposes, I've also made that into my one thing today, and so let me be redundant. Sex should be good, experienced within the guardrails, and always be God-honoring. So let's start our conversation here. Maybe something you've never heard in church before. God wants you to have good sex. God wants you to have, let's just say it all loud together, ready? Good sex. Probably something that you've never heard in church before. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to preach this sermon. So let me do this. Let me come at this from an angle of common sense first. And what I mean by that is we know that God created everything, right? We know that God created everything, and because he created everything, that includes sex. And the primary purpose of sex, as we know, is to procreate. Now, what God could have easily done is he could have, when creating sex, he could have said, hey, Adam, uh, you put that in that, and in nine months you're going to have a baby. And he could have left out all the fun stuff. He could have, right? He could have left out all the fun stuff. Now, if you go back centuries and you look at different religions, uh, you'll notice that many of those religions actually taught sex as simply for that purpose, to just procreate. While other religions would have taught that it was to be enjoyed, but only by the man. And so this is why even today around the world we see an epidemic of what's called female circumcision because females aren't intended by, underneath certain religions, aren't intended to enjoy sex. So let's ask the question. How do we actually know that God wants us to enjoy sex? Now, I'm going to build a case for that, and I'm going to make it really clear. But before we get there, I'm going to show you one passage that I'm uh, very much going to suggest something that I can't prove is there, but let me share it with you nonetheless. It's in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Now, by no means do we know for sure what God meant when he said he blessed them, but I want to infer that it could have been that he decided to add a little something-something to the procreating process. 
Now, here's something that I do know. I know that sex was meant to be a blessing. I know that sex was meant to be a blessing, a gift, a really good gift, and all God's people said, amen, right? And when sex is expressed within its design, it is the deepest level of devotion and fulfillment of desire. Now, lucky for us, we do have a book in our Bibles that highlights this idea that God actually wants us to have good sex. And we see this in the book of Song of Solomon. In this book, we witness a ballad of love and longing, an exchange of love notes. It's a story of adoration, of satisfaction, of delight, and yes, sexual desire. And if you're new to the church and you're hearing this for the first time, that there's a book like this that exists in your English Bible, for the first time in your life, you're probably like, I should probably read my Bible more. And that would be a good thing. So what I want to do is I want to allow us to eavesdrop in Song of Solomon chapter 4. We're not going to have time for me to kind of teach an exegetical sermon on the entire book. But we're going to eavesdrop in on a newly married couple on their honeymoon night. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn them open or turn them on and find your way over to Song of Solomon chapter 4. And to get us ready, let me quote from the famous theologian Nellie by saying, it's about to get hot in here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Song of Solomon chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them alone. Man, the girl's got her teeth. Now that may not be, listen to me, that may not be worth noting for you, but when you're from Kentucky, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. All right, verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David. If you haven't picked up on this yet, he's making his way down her body. If you, uh, right here, built with course of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle, like that browse among the lilies. Now, time out really quick, fellas. If you need some help getting her in the right mood in the future, you need to mention more plants and animals and weaponry. Okay, that's what we're learning. That's what we're learning right now. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Let's jump down to verse 11. Your lips... Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. It's as if he's French kissing her and biting her bottom lip at the same time. Hold on, let's keep going here. The fragrance of your garments is like a fragrance of Lebanon. We're getting ready to go PG-13. Be ready. You're a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. She is a virgin. Let's jump down to verse 15. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Does anybody need me to translate here? Emily said I'm not allowed anyway, so moving on. Now we're going to get to hear her response. This is the lady in this relationship responding. In verse 16, she says, Awake, north wind. I've heard it called a lot of things in my life, but never north wind. But, fellas, I don't know about you. There's nothing that gets me going more than when Emily uses meteorology. And, uh, <laughs> let's keep going. Let's keep going. 
And so, so wake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Friends, read your Bibles. Read your Bible. Sex should be good. It should be exciting. It should be fun. And so many of you are not going to be able to look at me in the eye when you walk out of here today. So let me give you a little break. Let's come back to our one thing really quick. Sex should be good. It should be experienced within the guardrails. And it should always be God-honoring. And friends, when we, experience the, when we experience it this way, within those guardrails, sex is amazing. It's also the deepest level of intimacy and devotion that one human being can have with another. But it was always meant, always meant to be done in a marriage relationship. And when we do it outside of those guardrails, outside of those parameters, we take something that was intended to be pure and we make it perverted. Now, I know for many of us, this is going to hit a little hard today for different reasons. And I say us on purpose. And so what I'm going to do specifically at the end of our time together, I want to let you know this now is I want to talk to you because I believe the grace of God has something for you today because you're not going to walk out of those doors with any kind of guilt or even grief. You're going to walk out of those doors with grace. But by no means can I allow that to dismiss the truth that God has made so clear in his word. So I want to do my best to represent his truth today. Here's something that I know. Our enemy, your, your enemy, he wants to do everything that he can to get you to have sex before you get married. And then he wants to do everything he can to keep you from having sex after you do get married. I've actually found this to be the case in all the couples that I've counseled over the years and talked with. And it's, it's amazing, honestly, to hear uh, how true this is for so many different couples that struggle in this area that have allowed and maybe even dismissed the importance of this area in their marriage relationship. And I get it. Like, it's tough at times. It's tough, and there's different reasons. We're going to talk about all these reasons, and one of the reasons why I wanted to, again, preach this message is because I think this is actually really, really important for a marriage relationship, but I get it. Like a healthy sexual relationship, it takes work, and so for the sake of time, because I got a lot of content that I want to get through today, I want to, I want to speak briefly to the guys in the room, <clears throat> excuse me, and then I want to speak briefly to the ladies in the room, and so guys, let me begin with you. Fellas, if you don't know this, it is incredibly important that you let her know that you're thinking of her outside of a sexual context from time to time. And ladies, you're just going to have to forgive us. Like we, it, we're, It's just bad for us. If, you don't, if you've never read a book about a guy and his mind and how a guy's mind works and how visual it is, you should probably pick up a book someday just for a deeper level of understanding because, ladies, seriously, it could be as easy as this. You may tell your husband, hey, I'm going to wash the dishes, and immediately he thinks, I'll wash your dishes. Right? I mean, guys, like, why? Why do we do that? Why? Can, how does it even make sense our minds would go there? She's talking about washing dish, dishes. Right? Emily, this past week, she sent me a text, and I should probably let you know this on the front end of it. I have permission to share uh, everything that I'm sharing with you today, and I need to tell you that because I don't always have permission. So it's <laughs> important to note. And so she sent me a text this last week. I let her know I was having a tough day. And uh, it was a stressful day. And she said, hey, why don't you just run over, you know, over here to D1 where we go work out. It's like, why don't you just run over there and get a workout in, just a quickie. And I saw that word, and I'm like, my wife's talking dirty to me. She doesn't even mean to. And I'm like, I, I couldn't think straight for 10 minutes. I got, like, you just got to pray for us. Ladies, pray for us. We need your help. We need your help. So, guys, listen to me. I'm going to give you, I'm telling you, this is gold. I'm going to give you some solid advice. I give this all the time. 
You need to be a student of your wife. You need to be a student of your wife. One of the things that I've learned is, and I've been married coming up on 16 years, Emily is not the same woman that she was when I married her after having four kids and following me around for 15 years and planting churches and different you know, experiences in life and all that. And so what I've learned is I need to learn to love her differently along the way. Sometimes we feel like we figure out like who our husband or wife is. And, and so it's like, yeah, 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 I'll do this every now and then and she'll appreciate that. And it's not, that's not it. And so love languages even change for those of you that are familiar with this idea of love languages. And so you need to learn how to fill up that love bucket differently throughout time. And when I said you need to learn how to fill up her love bucket, if you immediately thought, I'll fill her love bucket, you're missing the point. <laughs> Guys, this is why I need to talk to you. So, but don't underestimate that. She needs to know that you're thinking of her. Listen to me. You're going to, this is, I think most of us are like the rest of us. And I'm going to tell you something about Emily that I think most of you will probably be able to, uh, ladies will be able to resonate with. Um, I've learned that when I tell her something that nobody else would have known, in other words, when I observe her doing something and something that's a deeper part of who she is and who her character is, and I let her know that I've noticed that, that goes a long way. Right, I mean, as a, in a marriage relationship, you have the ability to see things nobody else gets to see. And when you bring those up, whether it's how good of a mom she is or when she did something for you or when she did something for somebody else or the things that you get to see her do behind the scenes nobody would ever know, and you recognize that and you let her know how much you appreciate that, that's one of the greatest ways, if you ask me, to show our wives value. You fill up her love bucket in that way. Guys, listen to me on this next statement. Her emotional needs, her emotional needs are just as important as your physical needs. Her emotional needs are just as important as your physical needs. It's not about her just turning over and lying there to appease you sexually. Yeah, I just went there. Listen to me. You need to learn how to fill up her love bucket. You need to learn how to show her value in so many different ways. You need to let her know that you're thinking of her outside of a, <clears throat> of a sexual context from time to time. And sometimes... Sometimes maybe you just need to take care of her. Do I need to explain what I mean by that? All right, moving on. Ladies, ladies, it's not about you just rolling over and appeasing him. His physical needs, listen, his physical needs are just as important as your emotional needs, but let me give you, let me fill you in on a secret because that doesn't just mean like sexual intercourse. One of the things that I've learned about myself and about many other men, and so I let, again, ladies, I'm doing you a favor right here. I'm going to tell you like a secret that your husband has probably never shared with you. It may be a sentiment that he feels that he's never even taken the time to uh, think through that he, he actually has. He holds, you know, holds that and he feels that. And th it's this. Sometimes guys just want to know that our wives are thinking of us in a sexual way. Sometimes we as men just want to know that our, our wives are thinking of us that way. And man, it goes a long way if you actually initiate. Like that goes a long way. In other words, if your husband ever says, I'm going to go wash the dishes. If you said, I'll wash your dishes, that'll, that'll suit him for a year. Like he is good for a year. I'm not joking. Like if my wife ever said that to me, I'd be like, dang. I'm telling you, we want to know just every now and then, once a year. Okay, let's, let's, let's start. Thank you. Yeah, let me take a drink. Sometimes we just need to know that you're thinking of us in that way. All Emily has to do is send me a text message that says, hey, let's put the kids to bed early tonight, and one of these emojis right here, I'm done for the rest of the day. Like, I can't think. I can't even think straight. I'm like, this is happening. I've got a written contract and a text message. This is going down. 
Like, I can't, like, you might as well not even talk to me the rest of the day. That's all I'm going to be thinking about. Ladies, pray for us. But I'm telling you, ladies, if you knew the power that you had at your fingertips, you'd probably be a lot more wise with it. But listen to me. Let's, let's settle down a little bit. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes life happens. There was a season in our marriage where uh, we, had, we were starting a new church down in Arizona, and it was taking a lot of our time. Uh, I had chronic pain. I was dealing with chronic pain on an ongoing basis with my neck. Ended up having to get neck surgery. She was working a full-time job. We had two young kids still learning how to be young parents of two little children. And we got to a point where neither one of us had any libido. Neither one of us had those kind of desires for one another. And we had read enough books along the way and counseled enough couples and knew how important this was in a marriage relationship to the point that even though we didn't feel like doing it, what we decided to do is start scheduling it. Now, that may sound really silly, but some of you know that that's probably something you need to consider, something that you need to think about. Some of you might be in a drought right now when it comes to your sexual relationship with your spouse. So maybe that's something you need to think about. But even more important than that, I want to encourage each of you who are married, I want to encourage you to pray about your sexual relationship because this is a big deal. You see, the enemy wants to do everything he can to get you to have sex before you get married and everything he can to keep you from having sex after you get married. But, the, but our Father in heaven, he wants to do everything he can to keep you from having sex before you get married and everything he can to make your sex life incredible once you get married. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never thought about this, and this is, I mean, it sounds so easy. I know I get it, guys. Sometimes as a pastor, it's like, hey, just pray about it. And I know that's a lot more difficult than the way we make it sound sometimes. Because some of you just praying out loud together, period, not even about your sex life, is an obstacle. It's something to work through. But I just want you to move. In, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll get this out. I want you to move in that direction. I want you to consider it. Because this is a really important part of the marriage relationship. But life happens. Life happens. You have a couple kids. You both have demanding careers, maybe. You lose sight of each other over the years. You start to lose that connection. Maybe you had sex before you got married, and remember what we talked about last week, the passion and the chemistry and all that was there, and it was exciting, and then once you get married, all that fades away, and you start to realize there was some work that probably should have been done on the relationship on the front end that we're now realizing on the other side of it. There's so many reasons why I think we need to pray. Maybe in your situation where life has happened is that he started looking at porn, and because he looked at porn, you felt very devalued in that way, and you really don't want to be with him that way right now. Or maybe, listen, maybe there's some sexual abuse in the past, and that's real, and all these things are very valid. All these things are real things that need to be discussed and talked through in a marriage relationship, but all the more reason why we need to pray about our sexual relationship within a marriage. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to back up everything that I just said by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and allowing you to hear from the Apostle Paul on this matter. He says this, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, this is never meant to be held over someone, right? I've seen this be used in a very negative way, where it's like, wife, just do your marital duties. No, it's not what we're talking about. And anytime that's done, listen to me, it's not God honoring. This is always a conversation. This is always mutual. This is always coming together for the sake of something better. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. 
unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. Now, I've got a lot of other material that I want to get to, and I feel like we've covered this pretty well now. So if you're married, i got some homework for you. Okay, If you haven't ever done this, I want you to pray about it. And if you need to do that solely first, if you need to do that as an individual first, go ahead and begin to do that. You can begin to do that today. But I want to move you in the direction of praying together as a married couple about this. And then if you need to, I want you to schedule it. But for some of you, you don't have any excuses. And so from the phrase of one of my fa- favorite um, shoe manufacturers, just do it. Okay? <laughs> just do it. All right, moving on. Sex has guardrails. Now, why do we have guardrails? Let's just start here. Why do we have guardrails? This is not a trick question. Why do we have guardrails? We have guardrails to keep us safe, right? It's not a trick question. They keep us safe. You often see guardrails to keep you from going into oncoming traffic, or you often see guardrails to keep you from going off the side of a mountain. If you were to look at, or I'm not, not look, if you were to drive up to the top of Pikes Peak, you're going to notice that there are guardrails right on the side of the road. Now, where you won't see guardrails are three feet down the mountain. Where you won't see guardrails are five feet down the mountain or ten feet down the mountain. Because at that point, once you go off the edge, it's already too late. And your car is likely just going to flip over that guardrail anyway. Friends, I use this illustration very intentionally because when it comes to sex, there is a lot of damage that can be done when we don't stay within the guardrails that God has given us. And some of you have experienced that. You see, what we have a tendency to do is we keep pushing those guardrails out a little further, don't we? We start pushing those guardrails out where it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if that's that bad. Well, I mean, this is, I hear my friends talking about doing things like this all the time, so I, it's more normal than it is abnormal. And we keep moving those guardrails. I want to make a point here that I want to be very sensitive with. And so I want to preface it with this because, and you'll know why really quick, um, this is a sensitive thing that I'm about to talk about. But I think it's going to help illustrate my point really well. Over the course of several years, I've gotten to meet, unfortunately, uh, many women who have been raped. And I've also gotten to meet many women who have been beaten by a boyfriend or a husband. And when it comes to the women that have been raped, the level and the depth of emotional damage and psychological damage and relational damage that is done when that has happened, that unfortunate thing has happened, goes so much deeper than when women that I've known have been beaten by a husband or boyfriend. Now listen to me. I'm not dismissing the severity of someone being beaten at all, but I think you know where I'm going with this. And this speaks volumes. This speaks volumes to how fragile and how sensitive our sexuality is. And friends, God cares so much about this that he gave us some guardrails to put in place to, listen, guard you, to guard you. And so I'm going to make a statement right now that I intend to be really strong, and I think it needs to be strong, maybe specifically for a handful of people in here. Listen to me. Stop being so flippant with something that is so fragile. Stop being so flippant with something that is so fragile. God gave us these guardrails around sex, and they were meant to prevent us from the complications and the consequences of sexual sin. 
and the main guardrail that he put in place that is crystal clear is that it's to be done within a marriage relationship. I'll allow you to hear that from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4. He answered, Haven't you read in your Bible that the Creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female? And because of this, a man leaves father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies, but one. Now, I'm going to say something to you here that's actually incredibly graphic. But the reason I want to say this to you is because you've probably never thought about this. You see, when the man and the woman come together, they're, supposed, they're both supposed to be virgins. And so they come together, the man enters into the woman. Now, this is called the covenant. This is actually where the covenant takes place. We have covenants in the Old Testament with God in Israel. We have covenant, or, yeah, covenant in the New Testament with us and Jesus when Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And in the Old Covenant, they had to sacrifice sheep or lambs so that there was blood spilled because that was a sacrifice that needed to be done on the Day of Atonement, if you're familiar with all that. So when a man enters into a woman for the first time, the hymen is broken, supposed to be, and there's blood spilled, resembling the covenant. Friends, this is not, listen to me, this is not just a physical thing. This is very much a spiritual thing. Very much a spiritual thing. This is what makes you a covenant with your husband or wife. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate this art by cutting them apart. Now, I want to transition a little bit here. And I want to talk to the students, and I want to talk to some of my single friends that are in here, because it's possible it's possible that you're in here today and you're listening to this and it makes sense and you're like, Aaron, Aaron I know, I know if that, you know, that's like the perfect Christian way to be and the perfect Christian thing to do, but does anybody really do this anymore? I mean, does anybody really even wait anymore? I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it my body as well? I mean, isn't it my body? Isn't this my prerogative, what I do with my body? If that's you and you're in the process of doing some kind of justification, I used to be a master justifier, so I kind of know where some of you could potentially be right now. And if that's where you're at, can I just, can I, will you just entertain me right now for just a few minutes and let me ask you a couple rhetorical questions? Would you at least consider that there might be a better way? That there might be a better way? Can you at least agree that everything that your friends are doing right now or everything that you're doing right now sexually is something that you won't want to tell to your future spouse? And if that's true, why would you think something is good now that you're going to want to hide later. Can I say it again? Why would you think something is good now that you would want to hide later? Let me go a layer deeper. How many sexual interactions do you want your future spouse to have before you? You see, ultimately, I think there's a real simple message God wants to get through to us. He wants us to give up something now so that you can be better prepared for someone later. He wants you to give up something now so that you can be better prepared for someone later. Friends, that's not a sacrifice. That's an investment. It's an investment that will pay dividends for the rest of your life. Let me show you how Paul kind of meets you in the midst of some of this justification and what it, when it comes to what we're supposed to or what we should be doing or not doing with our bodies. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything, right? I shouldn't allow something to can actually control me. 
You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with them both. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. Let me say it again. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? You've probably heard this if you've been around the church for any amount of time. We are the body of Christ. We represent the bigger C church. And we come together as Christ's body when we come together every single week and we worship. You are, a part, you are actually parts of the body of Christ. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. We just talked about this. We just read this. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. I'm going to say this the way that I think Paul intended for it to be said. Run! Run from sexual sin because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and it was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price by sending his very own son to die an excruciating death and shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven. So you must honor God with your body because sex should always be God honoring. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your body your body became the main instrument for God to use to bring love and grace and truth and mercy into this world by partnering with Jesus. The best gift that God will ever give you is his Holy Spirit, and it actually seals your salvation. At the end of your life, there's a point where God's going to look and he's either going to see his spirit inside of you or he won't. And for those of us that have given our lives over to Jesus, he will see his Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's what seals our salvation, but it's also what is supposed to do the work of God as we are here on this earth. This, it's no longer a building. In the Old Covenant, it was a building where God resided. It was a building that people had to go to, and they had to sacrifice these animals so that they could be forgiven. But now, this is God's temple. This is his main instrument. This is what he's trying to use to make his, his kingdom be known and his son to be known throughout this world. And so when we sin against this, Paul's saying, he makes it really clear, we're actually taking the most effective tool that God has put on this earth to spread the gospel, and we're making it less effective by dishonoring it. Listen to me. And I've done that. I want to talk to some of you in here today as we close that this has been hard to hear. And let me begin by sharing a little bit about my story the best decision that I've ever made in my life was putting my faith and trust in Jesus and handing my life over to him, allowing him to become the leader and Lord of my life. The second best decision that I ever made in my life was asking for my purity back. There was a season in my life where God finally got my attention through people and through messages and through songs and several different ways, and he showed me, Aaron, this is not the path that I want you to take, and I knew that I was dishonoring God in this way in a 
in a very real way. And so I asked God, God, would you give me my purity back? Would you allow me to experience relationships once again the way that you intended me to experience them? And friends, the best decision I've ever made in my life is to put my faith and trust in Jesus. The second best decision I've ever made in my life is to ask for my purity back. And friends, just the presence of Christ in here today would allow you to experience that very thing. Just the presence, just a touch of the Holy Spirit today would allow you to start to live and see things differently, to renew you. It doesn't mean the consequences of our sins are erased, but it does mean the stain is erased. And you can begin to move forward from this day moving forward with a new lens, with a new filter, with a new approach in a way that will honor God in the most sensitive and fragile thing that he has given us. And that's what some of you need to do. You need to pray, maybe more so for my single friends, You need to pray for God to renew your purity today and and repent, repent, which literally means as you're going this direction, repent means just turn and go in a different direction, but this time it's towards Jesus. Now, others that are in here today, maybe you're already married and you know you've made this mistake. And one of the things that I've noticed within marriage relationships after people get into marriage, it's like, hey, yeah, we kind of messed up before we got married and we made some mistakes here and we were dishonoring to God here, but now we're married, so everything's good, like everything's legal. We're good. We don't have to look back anymore. But what that dismisses is the importance of repentance. Repentance is such a beautiful thing that God has given us. And so maybe you've kind of just fallen into a marriage relationship and dismissed the fact that there was some, t- some things in your life before you got married in this particular area where you were very dishonoring to God. I want you to repent of that today. I, want you to, I just want you to acknowledge, I want you to repent of that today and acknowledge, God, I know that's not what you have for me. And if there's any potential that we're dragging any of, the, of the, the junk and the crap from those dishonoring experiences into our marriage relationship, God, would you point those out to us and would you allow us to uproot them so that we're not allowing our sin to follow us? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you and your wife. Maybe you and your wife today need to pray that together. Maybe you need to pray it alone. But I want you to pray a prayer of repentance today. So here's what we're going to do. Some of you just need to pray. God, give me my purity back. God, would you renew my purity? And some of you need to pray a prayer of repentance. But based on statistics alone, I think almost all of us in this room need to spend some time with God in this area, including me. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And then Corey's going to come up and Lead us into a time of response. Do some business with God today, folks. Do some real business with God. This is an area of our life that we cannot afford to turn our back on. Let me pray. So, Father, right now, right now we are entering into a time that I think is really important, that it's critically important. And, Father, I know for some people in here, they've been, been dishonoring to you in this area as a single person as a student, and they need to repent, and they need to ask for their purity back, and they need to move forward with a different direction that will honor you. And Father, I pray for those that have been married, 
for those that maybe have never taken the opportunity to repent of the sin that was in their life before they got married and they've kind of dismissed the fact that, that maybe they need to. And so, God, I pray that in, the, in this process, in this thin space that we want to have with you, that you would meet us in the midst of it. And more than anything, Lord, that you would remind us of your grace because in this moment, the enemy is wanting to fill us with grief. He's wanting to fill us with shame. He's wanting to fill us with guilt, which is exactly why your son died for us on a cross. And so remind us that that stain is removed and we get to walk out of these doors today set free. But Lord, that doesn't negate the fact that we still need to repent. And so God, would you meet us in this moment because we need you. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.